Um, I want to let you know, ask whatever question you want this morning. We were about three, three chapters into the book of John, and if you have any questions about the book of John and what we've covered so far in the sermon series, in this sermon series called The Word, I'd love to get it. Whether it's about the incarnation, whether it's about John's prologue, whether it's about this idea of being born again or born from, a, from above, whether it's about what I said last week about faith and, and actions being more married in the ancient Christian mindset than we, than we have today. I talked to someone for a long time who's a Bible student currently who had issues with that a little bit, and we, we had a really good conversation. If you have issues or questions, please, please bring those to us. Also, if you have any question whatsoever, this is, this is kind of to, to have fun. We've heard a lot of good feedback about our Q&R Sundays, but it's also to model, and I'll encourage you to silence your phones, um, but it's also to model the reality that we all have questions. If you don't have questions about your faith, you're not taking your faith seriously. If you don't have questions about the world and why the way the world operates, you're not taking your faith and reality seriously. So if you're struggling with your faith, send us a question. If you're um, not even a Christian because of a couple things, send us your question. We'd love to talk about your issues you have with the Bible or questions you have about the Bible or questions about why, why the world is the way it is. Whatever it is, we'd love to take it. I was, um, I was at a funeral yesterday, me and my wife, for Stuart Briscoe, um, a monumental man of the faith in this area. And I feel like a grandson of his in the faith. Um, this is a Brook Church that we are at here. And as we were singing, I couldn't sing, but good, great as thy faithfulness was being sung in a beautiful way, and tears were streaming down my face, and I just had this realization that this is a good way to live a life. Stuart lived his life for Jesus. He gave himself and his family to the work of ministry for the sake of the kingdom. And I just thought, this is a good way to spend a life. And a man who lived into his early 90s, and he preached his last sermon at 91. It's a good way to spend a life. And I want to, it's not just for us pastors, it's for us together as a church. I was looking around this morning as you guys were, were worshiping, and I just thought this is a good way for us to spend our lives, orienting ourselves around the gospel, around the person of Christ, growing and learning and struggling walking away sometimes and coming back to the person of Christ who will never leave us or forsake us. So with that, let's just pray before we have some fun asking some questions and seeing what, what comes out. Jesus, um, I thank you for that time yesterday. Thank you for Stuart Briscoe. I'm grateful that I feel like I've been loved by him in the last 10 years of leading this new church merge. Being loved by Jill and all the goodness that comes with that couple and that man. So thank you for the life and the ministry that changed this area that came from the life of Stuart and Jill Briscoe. And thank you for the opportunity to just spend our lives 
seeking after you, following you. You, in the end of John 1, called some disciples, and he didn't say, follow me after you've completed this exam. Follow me once you've got all your doctrine and orthodoxy correct. You just said, come follow me. And we sit here this morning just saying, yep, I want to do that. I want to start doing that, or I want to start again. I want to begin again. Or I want to go deeper. I want to come closer. So would you make this space safe, judgment-free? Would you create a, a dynamic of family where we get to talk to one another and process together? I love the idea of what the church can be. So would you come and shape us and mold us and transform us into that vision, to that dream that you have? In Jesus' name, amen. We got some questions, Randall? Yeah? Yeah. All right. All right. Been taking a look here a bit to see how to shape them up. It's always seeming like, okay, do we want to start difficult or start easy yeah, yeah. from the beginning? You're kind of a guy that likes to hit the nail on the head, like right from the get-go. Let's go. That's, so I think that's what we should do. You're the boss, more. <laughs> well, sometimes. Um, I'll let you be able to look at them as well. So this was literally the first one out of the gate is, um, was there, sorry about that, was there a literal fall? If not, what replaces that idea? The fall, meaning Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. and that sin entered the world through the actions of Adam and Eve. And is, was, did that happen literally? And if we're saying no, what replaces that? Uh, you've been looking at it for longer than I. Do you have an answer or a thought? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> not, not necessarily per se. Um, you know, I think there's probably been some m- movement in my own understanding of this over the years, I would say, um, in whether and how important it is, whether or not there was, I think this is connotating as well, that there's a literal Adam and Eve in the midst of this okay. as well, right. and, and whether that took place. And I honestly don't know on that one. I'm, I'm not sure, and if that entirely matters that there was a Adam and Eve figure or if there's something that took place um, involving early humans or the first humans. Um, Regardless, the Bible's trying to say something in this regard of what's going on. But I think what's important and has become important to me um, in regards to this question about a, a fall and that sort of thing is the fact that Genesis 3 is not Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. And Genesis 1 is how we need to understand our creation narrative and what God created the original humans for, which was goodness. He said it was good and that intent. And so I don't honestly have a good answer for this specific question, but I think it matters to me more to have the other answer of what Genesis 1 means in this context even more than what Genesis 3 is about. Yeah. Well, whoever asked this, good on you. This is a serious question, like major. 
A um, couple things. First of all, you can be part of this church and disagree with opinions that I or we have, just so you know. I'm about to say some things that are my opinion. Um, after lots of reflection on the scriptures and conversation with people who are way smarter than me. Um, and so I don't think Genesis 1 through 3 is a, happened literally. Um, I don't think. I think it's poetic. We know it's poetic language. It's poetic narrative. And I think it's a story um, that means a lot about how God, how God brought order and function in life to a to a chaotic earth that he had created before. And it's about God, yeah, bringing that order and that function, but also this, this idea that God created and it was good. You hear over and over again, God looked and saw that it was tov. It was good over and over again. And then you hear this pinnacle moment in I think it's 26 and 27 of chapter one of, of God said, let, let us make mankind in our own image, man and woman in our own image these image bearers, these priests in God's temple that he just created. And then you get into a whole different creation, creation narrative in Genesis 2. Many of us haven't noticed that you get one creation narrative in Genesis 1, and then it's like, oh, another story of creation in Genesis 2. They're different. It's not the continuation of the story. It's two different stories. Our, the, the God and his inspiration and the, writer, the, the writers of the scriptures and who, the people who canonized the Hebrew scriptures saw fit to put two creation narratives in the very beginning of our, of our scriptures. That's interesting to me. That, you could teach on that for, for a whole sermon about how ancient Israelites and Jewish faith love to have a couple, like, different ways of seeing the same thing, if that makes sense. And so do I think there was a talking snake who tempted... Uh, literal Eve into eating an apple and everything changed after that? I would say no, but I don't know. Nobody knows. John Walton, uh, I would say one of the premier evangelical scholars at Wheaton, at Wheaton College right now, I asked this question of him a, about a month or, or so ago, and he agreed. He said, no, I don't think there was a literal fall. I don't think that story literally happened like that, but I think that what it's speaking to, just like what Genesis 1 and 2 are speaking to, it's speaking to something that is true and real. And that's the most important thing about these stories to me, is not whether they literally happened, it's what are they saying that's true. And I think it's putting this on display, this idea that God create, had this dream in his heart to collaborate with and partner with his people who bore his image, and his people decided to go their separate ways from, it, from that God. And that's, the, that's when things began to change. And now there's a story of sin and corruption and disease and also redemption happening along the way of a God who would not give up on a fallen humanity. So um, I hope that answers does enough. If not, let's talk afterwards. Yeah, I think this starts, just one last comment on that, it starts to get into our entire perception of what is the Bible doing and what is it about and how are we interpreting it, who is it speaking to first and foremost. Um, so we said that, you know, it's, it's a book meant for the people of God, for the nation of Israel, first and foremost. And then, and then we start to interpret from there That's right. as we go. That's right. So I thought this one might go along with that one. Um, as people of the incarnational God, please talk about a healthy ecological theology and our human role for the earth. Juicy one. Yep. Super tasty. I, I think it goes with the earlier question. Yeah, and I mean... Same part of scripture. I love that whoever asked this question framed it up in an incarnational way because that's a really good way to look at and to frame... To, 
to contextualize the theology of, of creation care of, of ecology, and, but you don't have to root it in the incarnation. You can and should, but it also can be in Genesis 1 and 2 that our, our God created all things and declared it good, so shouldn't we care for this thing that our God created and declared good and, and made us stewards over if we believe that narrative? Again, I don't think it's important whether it's literal or not, but what's true is that God said, I'm putting you in place as priests over this place, over one another, to reflect my image and to care for what I care about. And the incarnation to me means that everything that you see, every piece of matter, every forest, every tree, every blade of grass, every person, every animal, every, every ocean, every sunset, all of it matters. If the eternal, everlasting God the divine life, the ground of all being, became a human being. To me, that means incarnationally that all things matter. That, that, that God, Paul, the Apostle Paul said it like this, that there will be a day when God is all in all. And also, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1, that God saw fit to redeem all things through Jesus, all things. In Romans 8, he talks about creation longing to be liberated from the, from the bondage that, it's, that has been set in, again, going back to this fall story. But I think that it's our, obviously our job and great pleasure and joy to care for creation and to do that in a way that says I'm, this is an act of worship. Yep, totally agree on that one. The, the verse I can't help but to focus on in, in regards to this is what was... God's intent, what is Jesus' intent for reconciliation and redemption? And it says in Colossians 1, it's for all things. Yes. And when it says all things, it means exactly that. It means all of the created order, which has been affected, like you just said, Romans 8 talks about it being affected by what, what's happened because of what humans have done. And so Jesus is having this intent of redeeming all things. And this is what some would call the kingdom project of, of what God is doing Amen. in that way. So, yeah. yep. So, how about a little more personal on one, um, just bringing it here. Mm -hmm. Hopes for our church. Um, and what are we hoping for a Bruce City Church? <laughs> I think that's what we're talking about here. Yep. Yep. Um, this one is interesting, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It is. <laughs> uh, so I can just tell you very broadly, I was in um, Nashville this last couple of days, Wednesday through Saturday. Um, just went straight to Stewart's funeral when we got home. But, and I was with some uh, old college ministry friends and our pastor from those days from Elmbrook Church. And um, the place where this dream of being, at, where like I was arrested, I walked in, saw that this guy named Dave Lutz doing his thing, preaching, and I was just like, I want to be that. That's That's... I just discovered what I want to do with the rest of my life. And, um, and then just a few blocks away at Watershire Brewery, I worked as a, probably the world's worst server um, when I started out uh, and just fell in love with the people there, the servers and the bartenders in the community that didn't feel welcome at a church at all. And that's where the dream of having a church for those people came about. And that's still my dream, at least. But we were sitting around sharing. We did a lot of sharing this last couple of days, just a lot of soul care, loving each other well. I haven't seen these guys in a long, long time. And um, the question was asked of me, you've been at this for, you know, about 15 years. 
do you see yourself doing this in another 10 years, you know, pastoring a church? And I said, yep. And they said, why? And I said, because this idea of a group of people who would try to embody Jesus in such a way as to bring redemption to the world around them, that's an idea I'm still down with. Um, and so that's, that's my hope for Brew City Church is that we would learn more and more every single day, every single month, every single year what it means to embody Jesus to one another and then to the world around us in a way that brings redemption to this neighborhood and to the city of Milwaukee and to the world around us, to your workplace, to your schools, to your families. Embodying Jesus in a way that redeems things around us. That's, I'm in for that. So that's my hope for Bruce City Church is that we turn into a church that's not just a Sunday morning-centric church that uses Sunday mornings and uses home churches and uses gatherings and groups to, to give us an imagination to wonder about how we can bring redemption to God's creation. Yeah. You know, I, I'm part of the elder board with Randy, and I would say that absolutely reflects the, the leadership of the church. That's not just your thoughts or idea. That's, that's how we feel about this place. And I, I hope that others, whether home church pastors or other leaders in our midst here that are hearing this would, you know, resonate with what Randy was saying, and I, I certainly do as well. You know, as I would have to tell you, this is the only church of its kind, personally, that I feel like I've ever been a part of. <laughs> and what I mean in that way is there was a common denominator of some things that were really messed up in previous churches I was a part of. And most of those ones I was on staff at. Um, I was a youth pastor in kind of my former life, and I've been in mission work for a lot of years now. And there was some difficult things went through. And not to say, you know, we have it all together. It's, it's not saying that as well, but there is decidedly a different intent and spirit that I would just say to you personally, I've found in being a part of this fellowship. And so I hope you find that here. And, and having said that, we are in a crazy screwed up time. <laughs> as um, mm -hmm. Grace was praying and talking about earlier, mm -hmm. um, alluding to where there's a lot of times we even as leaders in the church are going, are we doing what we ought to be doing here? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really at times difficult. And so um, I kind of started our time this morning focusing on prayer. And this kind of leads me to that in hopes for the church. Um, if you guys would pray for us in that regard um, as we try to do things and move things towards carrying this out because this is not easy, especially in our day and age. And we're glad that there's a, f a little more feeling of normalcy as things have turned in the past months or year, but there's still a sense of, um, wow, there's folks that we had around here that we don't see much. Mm -hmm. And then there's lots of you that are new and are checking us out and there's been just a lot of things changing and, and, and turnover, honestly, that makes it hard. But I think what the things that we are rooted in and believe about purpose, we still come and keep coming back to those things. Yeah. And I mean, in regard to that, I mean, I had a dream 
about a year and a half ago about, I don't have many dreams that I think are from the Spirit, but this was one of those that I woke up and I was like, what? We were in, I was literally in Florida sleeping in a tent, and I just had this dream where um, God dropped a manila envelope and it was full of names of people who were leaving our church. And it was kind of just taken as a given within this dream that it was okay. And I was like, wow, okay, all, those are important people. They're leaving our church. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, another manila envelope got dropped in and I opened it up and it was names of people that God was bringing to our church that were going to be key people moving forward. And it just was the sense that you're going to have some people leaving and I'm going to bring people to you and I'm in this and it's okay. And take courage. It's all right. And that dream has been played out um, in many ways. And so I think it's just one of those things that God has, has given us this gift of like, just so you know, don't be surprised. I'm in this and I'm with you. So I'm excited to be doing this with you and with you who's online. And um, we, get to, we get to figure out what Bruce City Church looks like in the future together. So let's, let's move on to the next one. Ditto. Well, let's take this one. Do you think we as a church have started to avoid sermons uh, regarding marriage, sex, relationships as to not take a stance on these things? I guess that's a yes, no question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> but not, not exactly. really. Um, I have, so the biggest difference in where that question's coming from is uh, I, as a pastor and as like the main preacher, communicator in this, you know, in this church, um, I change and I, my faith journey changes and evolves and grows and, and goes to different places. And so there was a time, probably between five and ten years ago, where I talked a lot about sex. Um, and it was where I was at at that moment. And I heard from a few people, like, this, it seems like Bruce City is obsessed with sex. <laughs> and it made me mad, to be honest with you. And then all of a sudden what usually happens is I reflected. And it, when, when I say I reflected, it took me like a year or two to reflect on stuff like that. And I was like, I think I, think I am. Um, and I think there's more to living a life of discipleship than what you do with your genital, to be honest with you. And um, so do I think that, uh, sex, that God is calling us to submit our sexuality before him, whether we're gay, straight, or anything else? Yes. Do I think that there's a sexual ethic that God is calling us to embody and to live out as is called out ones as the church. Yes, I do. Um, do I think that it's really good to try to place that in every single sermon so that I can feel really good about myself and holy or righteous? No, I don't. Those are conversations that I think now are best had between one another without a crowd and a microphone and we can just talk. I've had a number of conversations with some of you in these last six months, people who are in their 20-somethings and saying, hey, what does it look like to date and to be a sexual person in my 20s. Those are good conversations for us to have. If you're wondering about that, if you're struggling with that, I mean, I have kids who are becoming teenagers and then these conversations have become real to me. And I have hopes and dreams of how they steward their sexuality as a person. But I am not gonna, I'm not gonna make this a bully pulpit for what I think that should be. It's gonna be you, me, and the Holy Spirit, us and the Holy Spirit walking together to talk about what you stewarding your sexuality looks like between you and God. And I do think that the Bible has some things to say about it, particularly is the way you're stewarding yourself sexually, bearing the fruit of the kingdom. In your life and in your partner's life or in other people's life is, is the fruit of the kingdom being born, be, coming about because of the way you're 
embodying your sexuality? That's a, those are questions that I, that I find more interesting these days. And if we go to 1 Corinthians or we go to texts that speak to it, I will not avoid it. But it's not something that we're trying to like hammer on all the time. So yes, I preach about sex less. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I'd add to this is Randy, like you said, is our main communicator here in this church as, as lead pastor. And obviously, if you've been around here, you know that uh, myself and uh, Ian and my wife Shelley, Pastor Discipleship, also do preach up here as well uh, from time to time. Um, and we are given... Um, and Randy is given a, a lot of latitude as far as what he's going to share. But he also comes to us as elders frequently with where things are going to go in the future and what topics we're going to talk about and where in the scriptures we're going to be emphasizing. And so we support that. So it's, it's definitely a thing where there is absolutely no saying, hey, you can talk about this, you can't talk about that. But we know each other really well, and we've been elders together for a decade, uh, some of us. So it really helps to know each other in sure. that way, in, in understanding, and what ends up getting communicated here. Yep. And um, also the same, if you want to talk to any of us as leaders or elders or those that speak in this church about these topics, we're always open to do that. And and that doesn't mean that's going to avoid it because it's not necessarily coming in full force from the pulpit all the time. Yeah, I love getting, having people ask, hey, can we grab coffee because I need to talk about this? Yep. It means you're taking your, all of yourself and your spirituality seriously, including your sexuality, and that is beautiful. Yeah. Well, how about, here's a John question, so it's maybe it's good since we're, if you didn't already know, we are going through the book of John for a number of weeks and months ahead here. Uh, does it really matter who the author of John was? Does that change, does it change message or credibility of John? Um, I'll try to be as quick as possible with this. No, it, I don't think it does. Um, there are a number of the books of the Bible that biblical scholars who are like super smart and have given decades of their life to studying the scriptures and the, the, going back through the ancient manuscripts, there are a number of books of the Bible that we have no idea who wrote them. John just happens to be one of them. And for many of us, we, that's a surprise to us. We didn't know that. It just, we just took it as a given that the disciple that Jesus loved is John, son of Zebedee. And case closed. And the, the same person wrote the epistles and the same person wrote the book of Revelation. Um, we're not so sure about that. And by we, I mean biblical scholars. Um, and so what I would say is I like knowing who wrote a book of the Bible. It, feels, it makes me feel like I can actually understand, like, be more personal with that book. And so I do have that theory uh, that John was a Jerusalem-based disciple, Jerusalem disciple of Jesus who has a different perspective than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But that's based on some scholars, and it resonates most with me, and it makes most sense given the text and all that stuff. But that's, that's just a guess. And so does it matter to the message? That's where I would say absolutely not. Um, the, the early church gave this fourth gospel 
um, wait to be canonized, and there was really never much question about it, and so that's what matters to me, that it has this historicity through the early church and on through um, canonization process that was like very clear this should be included, and praise God that it was, because we get such a different take than the synoptic gospels. Um, so no, we're not certain, nobody's certain who wrote the gospel of John, but no, it doesn't matter to applying that message of the gospel of John. I heard, I think this applies to this in some respect, but somebody said on a podcast I was listening to just the other day, none of us, we, we think we're reading the Bible by ourselves, but we aren't. Anytime you open the scriptures and are reading it, you're reading it together with people who, of uh, the witness of the church before us, those that decided these books would be together. In other words, the collective nature of the church you're reading alongside of all of them. Unless you're the one sitting there with the Greek papyrus, original papyrus in front of you, you're, you're reading along with others that have helped interpret and have helped brought, bring this together. And I think the more you recognize that and understand that, you start to appreciate the collective nature of what the scriptures are doing and how the Spirit used it, absolutely uses it and uses that collective witness to speak to us. Yep. Um, Whoever the author, original author was. Yep. Uh, there are some really good questions up there, like here and above. That I'm just <laughs> yeah, going to kill time for you so yeah, you can come it's okay. up. Go for it. Because we got 11:04. We want to end at about 11:15, 11:20, right? I'm being. Some of you are like 11:20 sounds terrible. Um, there's some good questions in here. Are you are you combing through here? Do you know what you want to ask next? No, you go for it. If if you found. Oh, them. oh, geez. Oh. I feel like I'm a glutton for punishment if I ask certain ones or not. Um, well, I saw this 401k one. So. Let's do another one. Let's do another one. Okay. I love you who asked about the 401k. Let's talk afterwards. How about the pacifism? Sure. Okay. It says, I've heard you speak on Jesus' example of pacifism. What does that look like for us in a violent world? Great question. Um, I'm a, I would say I'm a reluctant pacifist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a almost pacifist. Um, and that just means that for me, it's clear and it's been clear for a long time that Jesus preaches a nonviolent gospel, um, that nonviolence is the way of the kingdom, that we have a, a God who was murdered and executed on a cross, and when he did that, he took all the violence the world could give him, and he took it in himself, and he condemned it. Um, the, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, in the beginning of Romans 8, that Jesus condemns sin in himself. And so I, I take that to mean that... Um, when the God of all creation has the, this ultimate act of violence enacted upon God's self, upon himself, and he takes it, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, that means that that's our example for how we should live. And so I think the way of Jesus, I believe with as strong as I believe anything, that the way of Jesus is the way of nonviolence. And that's something that we have to get acquainted with and sometimes repent of certain things, ways that we've thought, ways about redemptive violence that is just part and parcel with the American church. Redemptive violence is something that all, all of us have or should deal with, this idea that violence brings about good. I don't think it's a biblical position, even though, I, yes, I know it's in the Old Testament, but we're, again, talking about God himself who was murdered and executed on a cross, 
and did so like a lamb being led to the slaughter, and then triumphed over the grave, triumphed over violence, triumphed over the empire, triumphed over sin, and lives today with scars to prove it. So we must be a people of the gospel, I think, that is, practices nonviolence. Now, how that works on a macro-governmental level, that's where it gets a little bit difficult for me, but I'm talking to Stanley Harawas, who says that we need to be more, we as a people need to be more creative in handling our differences, and maybe we could be a people who usher in creative op options and opportunities to, to avoid war. Could the war in, in, the Ukraine, in, in the Ukraine be avoided? God, I hope so. Like, I actually mean that as a prayer. Like, I hope that there, there, there is a creative solution for f future wars that don't have to be fought so that we don't have to look at awful things and so people and children don't have to live through awful things because of our violence that we, that we just spew upon the earth. But also, I think that there is a time when nonviolence on that level where it's no longer an option. And that's where I have a lot of fear in the Lord, and I'm just speaking my opinion now. But for us, for me, I've, I'm trying to embody a nonviolent way. And I'm talking as a person who's a former boxer. Like, I, I, I literally was Golden Gloves champion of Wisconsin in my weight division in the late 90s. And, and I, spent, I spent my life, if you would have asked me when I was 15 years old, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to say, I, was, I would have said, I'm going to be the welterweight champion of the world. Like, I, I punched faces a lot in my late teens and 20s. But, I, um, but that's a sport, and it's different. And I want to embody a nonviolent way as I look at following Jesus. You're talking to a boxer and a hockey player. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so are, let it be. Who are close to pacifism, yeah. Right. Pacifism is where it's all headed. That's where I'm I like that. landing on. I like that. It's all headed there. So any glimpses and ways that we can position ourselves and bring God's kingdom now is headed for what the ultimate's going to be. That's good. Yep. So let's do like one or two more. Okay. Well, this one seemed good to me because we're having a baptism next week and good time to maybe just kind of share what does baptism mean to us here at Earth City Church. It's commanded by Jesus, according to Peter, quoting the question here, is baptism required or just a suggestion? Now this gets, this is where we can get dogmatic real quick and it get, can get uncomfortable. But um, you just said it. It's command, or the person who wrote the question. It's commanded by Jesus. Um, it's in the Great Commission, right? Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um, if it's a command of Jesus, I think it's a requirement. Um, I think it's something all Christians should do if you follow Jesus. It's weird and it's silly, and it's one of those things that I think embody that passage where Paul says that the God shoot. God chose to use the silly things of this world, the foolish things of this world, to, to shame the wise. And it's, why would I go and dunk myself, get dunked in a body of water and think that that's, like, significant? I have no idea, but Jesus commanded it, and I've been around it enough. I've been doing this for, you know, a decade and a half, and I've seen people both do two things. One is be really freaked out before they get baptized. Like, there's something going on there, I think, that's spiritual, that is kind of um, sifting in them, in their, in their lives, and I've, I've, I've just come to expect it now. And I've seen, I've heard beautiful stories and seen beautiful things happen when somebody, somebody just does something as silly and humble as saying, I want to be baptized, get dunked in this body of water to symbolize what's going on inside of me. And again, it's just the church has been doing it for over 2,000, or for two, almost 2,000 years. Why would we not do that? 
is my question. And the early church took it way more seriously. Like the early church, if you proclaimed Caesar is Lord, they would revoke your baptism because it meant that much to them. If you, if you, if you collaborated with empire in a, in a real way, they would literally revoke your baptism and say you're no longer part of this community. Your baptism was this kind of symbol that I am part of this covenant community. I've, I've been called out of the world and into this new kingdom. And the early church bapt took baptism a lot more seriously than we do, and I'd like to get back to that. Mm. Nothing to add on that one. That's, I think that's where it is. How about we end with this one? Okay. Um, this person just says, thank you for the Q&R. You're welcome. <laughs> As a newcomer, how can we get connected and serve in the church community awesome. here at Bruce City? If that's you or even if you didn't ask that question, you're a newcomer, welcome. We're so happy you're here. Um, not just to to be another butt in the seat, but because we love you as, as, as an individual. We want, we're excited to get to know you genuinely and to, to walk with you and to become family with you. And um, first of all, I would say just have, have a little patience, but go back to the Welcome Center and there's a bunch of QR codes over there and you can sign up for our email list so you can get on the weekly Saturday email that says everything that's going on around here. Then you can, if you want to sign up for a small group or a home church and talk to our pastor of discipleship, Shelly Schmore, to talk about where you're at, what might, what might be the best fit for you, you can do that. Sign up to volunteer. That's a huge blessing to us, but it's also an amazing way to meet people around here. It's just to serve on a Sunday morning or around here. Just Take all the QR codes, sign up for, for as many things as you can, and start getting to know people and be part of this family. And if it continues to say, this is a, we're going to have a new membership class in, I think, a month or so, um, do that. And that's another way to get to know some people around here and to hear what the ethos and, and fate, the beliefs are around here. And if you continue to say, yes, I, this is where I want to make my home, then we'll put you in a home church. And that's where you get real nitty-gritty with people sharing life together as family. So that's just, there's a road and be patient with it, but sign up for things and, and get engaged and, and hang out afterwards maybe. And, and people who have been around for a long time, Look for new people. Look for people that aren't part of your crew to, to love on and to, to engage with because that can't happen without, without you, without us being the church together. So this is exciting times, friends. I'm excited to be, mm -hmm. to be part of Bruce City Church right now. The, the only one I'd, thing I'd add to that is uh, depending on what your background in church has been, maybe your church provided something every night of the week if you wanted to to get involved in we are way more bare bones than that and feel like the church should not be where, you're, where you are every single night. And so we take a way more minimalist approach to activities around this place, but the things we do, we really believe in, like home church, yeah. like what we're doing here Sundays. The, what you'll find there are the things that really matter to us. And, and as well, we put, we put a lot on those that are here regularly to be the face of this place, right? Yep. And to connect, as Randy was just saying, with others. And so we, we really pray and hope that that's what you'll do yep. and, and be involved in that way. Awesome. Thanks for doing this, Randy. You're Let's welcome. Let's give Randy Schmore a round of applause. Thank you for fielding our questions. And uh, let me just pray before we end our time in worship. Um, Jesus, I'm proud to be part of a church family that uh, makes space for questions. And if you didn't get your question answer, answered, friends, I'm sorry. There's... There were so many good questions. Um, couldn't get to them all, but let's, let's 
continue this conversation into the future. We'll do this again. But I'm glad, Jesus, to be part of a community that, that doesn't shy away from the hard questions, that, that um, can disagree even with one another and still call one another family and still follow Jesus together. If we had to agree on everything, man, what a sad little group of people we'd be. But would you come and knit us, knit us together in our similarities and our differences and create a, a, a family? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and, and remind us of the words of Jesus, what Jesus said you would do? Would you come and knit us into a Christ-centered community that brings about redemption wherever we find ourselves? A sermon can't do that. A good, really good worship song can't do that. A good conversation can't even do that. But all of this together, would you, would you use it to turn us into a group of people who embody Jesus and bring redemption to the world around them. And now we sing the song that speaks to your, your, your dreams and your plans for all of creation since the beginning of, of time as we know it. That we have this everlasting, eternal God who has always dreamed of having a people to call His own. Of redeeming and renewing all things. Just continue, who continues to create because he loves it because it's just this God looks at it and says man that's good and that includes me that's us and so we just get the privilege of singing together and getting caught up in the story that we're invited into and say yes Lord again so let's stand and worship one more time friends <laughs>